The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. I am Janelle King. This is Extra 106.3. I hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful day. And I so thank you for joining me. If this is your Saturday morning and you're listening to me live, then congratulations. You caught me. If it's on a Sunday and you're listening to the Encore episode that comes on every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. on Extra 106.3. Thank you so much. You have not missed a thing. And if you are listening via the podcast and you're catching this not quite live, but a couple of days after, don't you worry. It's still hot and fresh. So you are still good, still in the game. You know, the podcasting journey has been very interesting to me because it's allowed me to vent. (laughs) It's allowed me to kind of further hash out some things. And I'm going to use this episode to do that as well. But before we dive into the topic of this episode, please make sure you go to my website, allthingsjking.com. That's all things with an S, jking.com. And on the website, you can listen to past episodes. You can kind of catch up on some of the um, articles that I like. I've added some articles that I call Consider This, <laughs> which are just articles or editorials or op-eds that I have came across that's really stood out to me. I decided to repost it, reshare it, and introduce it to another audience. And then I also have some king that I will be dropping really, really soon. And these are for those who would like to listen to, uh, I'm sorry, for those who don't only, not only listen, but um, like to read, want to read some articles and just kind of read my thoughts. So I jotted down some thoughts there. And there's also an aspect on the website. There's a a, a area on the website I call Tusk Talks, Tusk Talks. And this is where I want to facilitate conversations, particularly between those that are within the conservative party. I don't think we're talking enough to each other while we're talking to everyone else. So I wanted to make sure that created a space for us to kind of dialogue a little bit. So if you hear something on this this show or any of my past shows and you just want to jot it down in there, I will be interacting, will be responding. If you have information that you want to get to me, you can jot it there. Now, if it's something private, don't do it on that forum. Don't do it on Tusk Talks. Just contact me. You can just hit the book or the contact button and you'll be able to get that directly to me. So feel free to do that. I just think that I want to increase conversations within the party. So that's what that's going to be. Now, I posted a video. I posted a video, a really quick little IG video that I made trying to find the most simplistic way to share the difference between Republicans and Democrats. And the video did pretty well. If you go to my podcast, J King, the podcast, I posted it on there and I posted on my personal page. Um, And um, I think I'm at a little bit over 7,000 views, which is pretty good to not have put any money behind it and to be dealing with some shadow banding, banning and all this other stuff. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But what what stood out to me is 
how quickly people were able to catch on to that. I didn't give them anything that I felt was extremely, um, you know, heavy or complicated, but it's interesting to me how little people know about the differences between political parties. So I'm going to do videos and those little videos, dropping them just to share, particularly with young voters, the differences between the political parties, why we feel the way we feel about different topics, where we stand on these topics so that people can have a clearer understanding of what each party stands for. Because at this stage in the game, I really think we're getting really caught up in the emotions of politics rather than the policies and the platforms and the foundation of the particular parties where we've replaced parties for people. And I think that's kind of dangerous. So we're going to get back into educating, educating. In 2024, there are some topics that I believe we need to really focus in on. Um, This is an election year, so we don't have a whole lot of time to come up with a whole new way of doing things, but we do have enough time to focus in on how we're planning on messaging on these topics. So the, the, the hot topics I believe 2024 carries is abortion, elections, immigration, healthcare, and the economy. And last week I discussed some of my thoughts regarding immigration as well as I did a little bit on healthcare. I'm going to continue to talk about those particular subjects and bring on some subject matter experts that can help us flush out some of the Um, the the difficulties around these topics. But today I want to discuss abortion. I want to look at elections. Um, You know, abortion doesn't work without fear and stories. And what we're seeing happening on the left now today is a plan and a trick and a play that they ran back in the 60s, the late 60s prior to Roe v. Wade being passed. And I couldn't help but really feel like this is something that needs to be talked about early because I came across something. I came across a little interview with an individual that really stood out to me. So when we start talking about abortion in this show, I'm going to really dig into that woman's story and just show some parallels between the Roe v. Wade conversation and Jane Doe and all that stuff. The the new case, I will say. One thing I know is that, you know, the, the left and the pro-choice movement, people who are really strong advocates of abortion, they love placing a face on the story or a face to the story to evoke an emotional response. And then ultimately it leads to the voting booth, you know, you, you see this person in your face, much like how people saw, you know, uh, Norman, I mean, I'm sorry, not Norman. <laughs> people saw Jane Doe. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. I think her name is Norma. We'll get into it. So Democrats and progressives are really up to their old tricks. And so I'm going to definitely show some, shine some light on that um, in the next segment as we really dive into this abortion topic. And then I will close with some of my ideas on how I think we can tackle this issue that we're getting ready to run head into as progressives. And I, I just want us to really be prepared And then election integrity. Election integrity is a term that has become a staple in political conversations now. And depending on where you stand the conversation, it may sound a little different. You know, you have the stop the steal people. You have the it wasn't a steal people. Then there's the 
some there were some irregularities but the outcome was still accurate and you have cheating happens all the time there are people who hate the voting machines people who feel like oh my goodness it's really the absentee ballots we have to watch that we shouldn't have no excuse absentee ballots then there are people who just don't really care and then there are some that just don't know but we're going to make sure that we put a lot of emphasis into this particular um, these particular topics like I said with the abortion an interview popped up to me popped up for me and it really stood out to me the name of the article was or the interview was woman arrested for having a miscarriage and this took place in Ohio and I was like wait 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 a minute everyone everyone just calm down whenever I see headlines that are so salacious that it's almost in It's almost impossible to believe. I know that here we are. This is another ploy, another scheme that's being played on us. We need to be aware of it. We got to make sure that we we stay alert and we stay vigilant during this particular season as we are going into election season. And then when it comes to the election and we're going to talk about paper ballots um, and why I am not in support of paper ballots. Um, we're going to go deeper into it. I, I realized that I needed to go a little bit deeper into this because I was on my show, the Georgia gang. Many of you may have already know this, but I am a panelist on the Georgia gang. I was on full time prior to my husband running for us Senate. And then when I, when he, um, his race ended, I came back and now I'm on part time where Martha, who sat in for me during uh, Kelvin's race, she is now on one Sunday. I'm on the other Sunday and we kind of alternate, alternate, you know, she had been on previously um, before me. She had been a panelist on the show and then she was no longer a panelist on the show. And she was so gracious to help me out and sit in my seat during um, Kelvin's race. And so when we came back, we decided to swap and uh, that way her listeners will also, and her viewers, I should say, will, um, have her as well as the other viewers that will have me. So, um, but I, this past Sunday, um, because like I said, the Georgia gang comes on every Sunday, Fox five Atlanta, but this past Sunday was interesting because after I got finished sharing how I felt about the paper ballots, I said to myself, you know, I kind of hate having um, 60 seconds or sometimes 30 seconds to have to prove a point or share my perspective because I just need more time. And I decided then that I was going to do have a portion of my podcast be dedicated to why I have my feelings towards the whole paper ballot movement and what's happening right now. So after the break, we're going to dive into both of these topics um, and we're going to discuss some things because we have got to get into it. You're listening to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. I am Janelle King, and this is Extra 106.3. Make sure you go grab you some hot tea or some coffee, or if you're driving, stay focused. But we'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. I am Janelle King, and this is Extra 106.3. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're tuning in this Saturday morning, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are catching me in the, the first 
drop of this episode so thank you be sure to catch an encore episode if you missed anything like maybe that first segment you can catch me on sunday at 9 a.m right here on extra 106.3 and if you're one of those people who are like oh my god i can't get the whole entire episode today don't you worry you can check out my podcast you can go to allthingsjking.com allthingsjking.com to find the best way to listen to my podcast even though it is everywhere we can get your podcast especially here at extra 106.3 on the podcast park so make sure you tune in okay so roe v wade let's talk about roe v wade because we're diving into some topics that's going to be hot here in 2024 particularly during an election cycle and i saw something that i recently came across that um gave me some pause but I got to give you some backstory. So let's just start with Roe v. Wade. Let's go all the way back. So in 1969, a woman named Norma McCorvey, who became known as Jane Roe, was used in a lawsuit against um, the district attorney of Dallas County in Texas at the time, Henry Wade. And let me give you some backstory. So Norma was a pregnant woman at the time. She was 22, I'm sorry, 21, I believe. Yeah, 21 years old. She was a single woman in Dallas, Texas, and she struggled financially. Um, there's there's some, some reports that say that she abused drugs and alcohol, but ultimately she was pregnant with her third child. So let's keep that in mind, okay? This was her third child. So let's talk about what happened with the other children. So apparently she had, her first child was handed to her mother and her mother obtained custody custody of the first child and then the second child um she put up for adoption and now here she is pregnant with her third child and abortion was illegal in texas however at the time there were other states that did offer the opportunity to abort your child such as california and new york but Norma didn't have the money to go to these particular states. So a fr- some friends of hers came together and said, "Ooh, I have a story. I have a, a way that you might be able to, I guess, use sympathy in order to get, um, oh, is this Ohio? Texas, sorry. In order to get Texas to allow you to have an abortion. So they came up with this elaborate story that she had been gang raped and they were hoping that by saying that the child is a product of rape, that that would somehow now open the door for her to be able to have an abortion. Well, what it did was it attracted these two ambitious lawyers, young women who were just hell bent on turning every state into a pro-choice state. Their names are Sarah Weddington and Linda Coffey. So the story is that allegedly... These two women, these two attorneys took Norma out to lunch while she was five months pregnant and got her drunk. That's what the story is. The story is that she was extremely wasted. And as a result of that, they convinced her to agree to file a lawsuit to challenge the abortion laws in Texas, um, particularly Dallas County, and that this would go be a direct hit against the concurrent district attorney, Henry Wade, at the time. Well, by 1970, now mind you, all that happened in 1969. So one year later, 1970, that's when he began to do legal proceedings. And it all began at the at the power and control of these attorneys. OK, 
and again, Linda Coffey and Sarah Weddington. Their whole premise is that they were saying that the whole premise of their lawsuit was to challenge the constitutionality of the Texas abortion laws, um, which prohibited abortion except to save the life of the mother. So in other words, they were a no excuse for an abortion other than the fact that if the mother was at risk of dying, then they would perform it. So in 1971, three uh, judge, uh, three Judge Federal District Court in Texas declared that the state's abortion laws were unconstitutional. However, Norma had already given birth to her baby girl, which she placed up for adoption. So there we have it. We have a young woman who became the face of the abortion conversation. Her name is Norma McCorvey, a.k.a. Um, Jane Rowe. And... The interesting thing is she's never had an abortion. She was never even really seeking an abortion prior to this third child. She utilized the other options that was there, such as adoption. Moving on in 1972, the Supreme court decided to accept the case. And as a result, they agreed to hear Roe v. Wade, but they combined it with a similar case called Doe versus Bolton. And so here we are now with another case. There's another face, another woman. So who's this woman? So this woman came out of Georgia and her name was Sandra Kano, AKA Mary Doe. And they say that she was also poor, um, that she was 22 years old. She had three uh, children already and she was pregnant with her fourth child she lived in Georgia and she actually spoke with an attorney named Margie Pitts Haynes who was seeking she was speaking with her in reference to getting legal help to get custody of her children who were in foster care and then to divorce her husband despite the fact that the Haynes filed the lawsuit on Sandra's behalf to obtain an abortion so let me explain that to you she came to this woman and said, hey, I need legal help as it relates to custody and divorce. And this woman signed I mean, filed a lawsuit on her behalf to obtain an abortion. Now, to this day, um, well, I don't want to say to this day because I haven't spoken to her, but I will say that Sandra has maintained that she never wanted to have an abortion. She felt like her signature was either forged or there was some paperwork that was within the paperwork that she was signing in reference to the custody of the divorce that has something to do with abortion, but she never wanted an abortion. So we've tied another woman to this story that has nothing to do with it. Neither one of these women actually did anything in the forefront other than when they propped them up to be the face. It was a lot of these attorneys that were behind their back, pulling the strings that was making this stuff happens happen. So in 1973, that's when they ruled in favor of Roe. So fast forward. Now, all that happened in 1973. In 1974, my husband was born to a 15-year-old mother. Thank God she chose life. But that was exactly one year after Roe was was um, ruled in favor, when the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Roe. And here we are. Now, I want you to fast forward 
2017 from 1973. We're going backwards from 1924 from 2024. But let's let's just go ahead and like land in 2017. So here we are in 2017. That's when Norma McCorvey, aka Jane Doe or Jane Roe, that's when she passed away. But before she died, she made a confession. Listen up. Did they use you as a trophy? Of course. I was the big fish. I was well, I think it was a mutual thing. You know, I took their money and they put me out in front of the cameras and told me what to say and that's what I'd say. We've gathered here today to pay homage to the children that are being aborted in this abortuary. We're doing this because abortion is wrong. And I, as the former Jane Roe of Roe versus Wade, do regret signing the affidavit for the pro-abortion camps. And that was probably about it. It was all an act. Yeah. I did it well, too. Okay. So you just heard the confession basically saying that all of it was a lie, that none of this was true, um, that she was pretty much, you know, she says she took the money, they paid her to do this, and there we have it. And some people don't believe that that was a real, that that was a confession or that she was telling the truth because they feel like now all of a sudden she's a liar. They believed her when she first came out, but now she's a liar. However, regardless of what you want to say, it's real. I'm, I'm hard pressed to find anyone who would just make up lies on their deathbed. She was extremely sick and she died right after. So why am I talking about a policy that has been overturned? Like, why am I even talking about Roe v. Wade? And more importantly, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people that are wondering, why am I even talking about the women who became the face of the movement? Because just before, just like before, just like what just ha- what I just explained to you that happened with the whole Roe v. Wade, I'm noticing another pattern. I'm seeing a pattern. Now that Roe v. Wade has been sent to the States, I believe that the Democrats or the progressives that are extremely pro-choice to, to the point where they're rabid about it are up to their old tricks. So I want you to meet a woman named Brittany Watts. She did a CBS interview and the CBS interview was entitled Brittany Watts on being arrested after miscarriage. Something just didn't sound right to me. I was a little confused. I felt like this seems a little outlandish and whenever it seems a little weird and bizarre, it just, it intrigues me and I have to keep looking. I got to do some more deep diving. And while I'm still in the process of doing some deep diving, it is important for me to note that There's an element to this story that's just not adding up. And I want you to go on this journey with me and see if you can catch it too. So who is Brittany Watts? Well, she was 21 weeks pregnant. She's a young woman, a black woman who found herself pregnant. And at 21 weeks, she said that she experienced her water breaking. She didn't know what it was. She thought maybe she was urinating on herself. And let me make sure I note too, that there may be, uh, let me put a little warning out there because some of the Um, clips I have is a little bit 
it's a little, you know, detailed. I don't think it's too much, but I do want to put that warning out there. If you have small children with you, you haven't had the conversation about the birds and the bees. This one might not be the one. <laughs> so she said that her water broke. So she went to the hospital and that's when she was informed that her baby had a heartbeat, but was non-viable. Hear it in her words. This is what she had to say. And what ultimately did the doctor tell you that meant about the health of your baby? That there was still a faint heartbeat, but the pregnancy was going to be non-viable. Okay, so emphasis on faint heartbeat, but not viable. So then I said to myself, well, what does it mean to not be viable, right? Because that she's make, it sounds like she's making it seem like she the baby was dead, but that's they said the baby had a faint heartbeat. So non-viable means it's a situation where a fetus, despite being alive, is not expected to survive outside the womb or to reach a point of fetal viability. If a pre or it could be if a pregnancy is deemed unviable, but the fetus is still alive, it may indicate a severe medical condition or anomaly that poses a significant threat to the health and the survival of the fetus. So in other words, the baby was very, very sick. I think we all can agree that that's what the doctor visit said, the baby was sick. But according to Brittany, she did three visits, of which I think her second visit, she said she was there for 11 hours waiting to be induced. And I found that to be odd. I was like, why is she waiting to be induced if the baby is not dead? But then I said, okay, you know what? Maybe it has something to do with the, the laws there. Come to find out, there is a law in Ohio that basically says that if the mother's life is in danger, she can have an abortion. So I'm thinking maybe that's what they were operating on, but I don't know. I don't want to speculate. But there's something important to note. The interviewer stated that during one of the interviews that she had at the hospital, I'm sorry, one of her visits at the hospital when she was speaking to a doctor, her case was flagged because apparently she mentioned abortion, even though abortion was not on the table because of the laws in that state. But check it out yourself. Watts's case had been referred to the hospital's ethics committee, in part because medical staff reported concerns that Watts was using the phrase abortion when discussing the next steps of her care. Ohio law bans abortions after 22 weeks with exceptions for life-saving care. At the time, Watts was 21 weeks and six days pregnant. So. If she was in med if she was medically in danger, there is an exception for saving for life saving care, right? That that was notated, um, and that would be explained. That would for me explain the inducing part of it. However, you don't get to induce for whatever reason you want, and she didn't provide why the doctor said we want to induce, but that's neither here nor there. Long story short. She ended up going back home. So the hospital either dropped the ball or they provided her some information that for some reason um, we don't have right now. So I'm, I'm just not 100% sure. But for whatever reason, she ends up going back home and then this happens. And I must say, warning, it's a little bit graphic, but please check out what she had to say happened as soon as she got home. I go to the bathroom. I sit down on the toilet and I'm just, I'm doubled over. And then that's when I hear splash. And then I look down, there's blood. And I'm like, okay, well, I have to get cleaned up. All while thinking, wow, did that really just happen? But it really just happened. I'm really awake right now. This is really what, what life is now. 
So let's play this back a little bit. She says she sits down on the toilet and this is so sad. Um, it makes me extremely, it's hard to have this conversation because I don't want to minimize what she went through. But at the same time, when things are not adding up, I just, I have to point it out. And, um, but anyway, so she says she sits down the toilet, she sees blood and then she hears a splash. And then her next step is she then decides to get cleaned up. And then she goes on to talk about her experience with a nurse. And I'm thinking that was edited out that she explained how she got from the house to the hospital. That not being in the part as part of the interview was a little bizarre to me, but it switches to her now with a nurse. So let's just say she went to the hospital because she just, you know, um, had what she calls a miscarriage and what it very much so may have been. And she gets to this nurse and the nurse, she says the nurse makes her feel comfortable um, and all this stuff. But then she turns around, the nurse calls 911. And we have the 911 call, so listen to the call. I had a mother who um, had a delivery at home and came in without the baby. And I need to have someone go find this baby or direct me what I need to do. Did she say if the baby was alive or not? She said she didn't want to look, she didn't want the baby, and she didn't look. Okay, the nurse said that the mother came into the hospital without a baby. She didn't want to look or... She and she didn't want the baby. Now, Brittany denies saying that she didn't want her baby, but she did say she did not look. She didn't deny saying she didn't look. So let's keep in mind, right? When she says she didn't want to look, that threw me a little bit. Because in my mind, I'm thinking if you were told that the baby had a faint heartbeat, but wasn't viable, why not look? Why not check and see? But then I said to myself, okay, who knows? The splash may have just been, I don't know what it could have been. But when the nurse realized that she had given birth and there was no baby, then she called the cops because that's what you're supposed to do. And she was charged with, I believe, abuse of a corpse which is what they charge you if you give birth and you harm the child, this happened to a young white girl because that was part of it too. They try to make it a race thing that, that this is happening to her because she's a race. But I found several cases. I just didn't have enough time to put them all in here. But I found several cases where there was young white girls who were being charged for this because of the same thing, just like not wanting to keep the baby, giving birth, and then either burying the baby, burning the baby, doing all kinds of things. But anyway, why am I, why am I talking about this particular story? Because once again, we have a special case of another Jane Doe. And if you read between the lines, you can hear it all. So let's just go back. She was told that her baby had a faint heartbeat and that it was not viable. Not viable doesn't mean dead or stillborn. The hospital then tells her they're going to induce. And according to um, Ohio, abortion is only allowed if there is life, a life-saving reason. Like you, it's the only way you can do it is if it's, you're, the baby is going to kill the mother. So the induction did not happen. That could have been a hospital error. I'm not disputing that. I don't know because they skipped explaining to us why she never got her, um, never was induced. But then she finds herself in at home she goes to the bathroom, she sees blood, she hears a splash, she doesn't inquire about the splash, at least she doesn't tell us this, 
But she proceeds to clean up and I'm assuming she goes to the hospital because then the nurse that takes care of her and tells her everything's going to be okay, then then makes a 911 call after she realizes that the mother is here, but there is no baby. So she denies saying that she didn't want her baby, but she didn't deny saying that she didn't look to see if the baby was alive or not. Um, but she said that she does want, she did want her baby and all this other stuff, but I don't know her actions. I'm not going to speculate. My thing is this at 21 weeks, I had to look this up. I was like, what is the size of a, of a fetus approximately at 21 weeks? And I think approximately they say it's about the size of a banana. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to assume that that's a healthy 21 weeks. I don't know what this child was or how, you know, if that baby was really, really small or was malnourished or any of that, but we're just going to say at a healthy 21 weeks, um, the baby's like the size of a banana. That would explain a splash. That would absolutely explain a splash, explain, I'm sorry, explain (laughs) a splash. My next thing was, did you cut the umbilical cord? Because we don't hear about that either. And she's claiming that this was a miscarriage. And the problem I have with the miscarriage thing is that you didn't look to see if the splash you heard was an actual baby. It's almost felt like you didn't care if the baby was alive or dead. We went to the hospital without the fetus. You didn't even leave the fetus. And then now we're wondering where is the fetus? Because at this point, I'm a little confused around whether or not we even have a fetus it's making me feel like you're trying to pull the wool over my eyes and you're trying to fool me there's an old saying in tennessee i know it's in texas probably in tennessee that says fool me once shame on shame on you it fooled me we can't get fooled again like he said fool me once shame on me but a fool can't get fooled again we have got to get on top of this We've got to pay attention because what I think is getting ready to happen, I think they're getting ready to parade her and a couple of other women around using this whole story of people getting in trouble for what they call miscarriages, which is really the abuse of a corpse. It's really women deciding to give birth or not deciding to give birth. However, they're finding themselves in these really terrible situations which I do not wish for anybody. And if the, the hospital dropped the ball and didn't address this, then I am so sorry. However, you do not get, you do not get to give birth, not check and see if the baby is alive or dead. Premature babies come every day and then get to utilize this story as some type of dis, some type of uh, injustice that was happening or happened to you simply because it falls into the narrative. Let's be alert. We've got to be alert because if we are not, we're going to find ourselves continuing to be in a situation where we are allowing them to be on the offense while we're on the defense, constantly having to battle these weak stories. Now, after the break, we're going to talk about election integrity really quick. And then we are going, I'm going to give you my little two cents regarding what I would like to see done regarding these two two issues, election integrity and 
the abortion. So you're listening to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King on Extra 106.3. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. I am Janelle King, and this is Extra 106.3. And before the break, I gave you a breakdown on why we need to pay attention to the tactics that's going to be played out through the progressives and Democrats regarding abortion. I gave an example of Mrs. Brittany or Miss Brittany Watts, who recently claimed that she was arrested for having a miscarriage. But as we went through her story, it just didn't line up. But if you want to catch that, don't you worry, there will be an encore episode of this show right here on Extra 106.3 tomorrow morning. That's Sunday at 9am, followed by the full episode dropping on this following Tuesday or, or this coming Tuesday, I should say. And that's going to be on my podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcast, especially right here at the podcast park on extra 106.3. And if you don't know where's the best way to listen to the podcast, you can go to my website, allthingsjking.com. Again, allthingsjking.com and participate in Tusk Talks. Look on the homepage and tell me what you think about some of these topics and some of the stuff that's being laid out to you during the show. So let's jump into election integrity for a second. So on the Georgia Gang, the show that I'm on, I said that I'm not for paper ballots. I've given several reasons, but they've been kind of quick in 30 seconds or more. So I wanted to break it down just a little bit more so you can see where I'm coming from. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about elections, especially the 2020 elections. But depending on what side of the aisle you are on, it may go as far back in 2018. Both Trump and Stacey Abrams both can agree on something. They both can agree that the Georgia voting process is one that they do not like. They want to change it. Um, Stacey Abrams claimed that there was voter suppression and she supported the absentee ballot program where Trump claimed that there was a lot of fraud and he hates the absentee ballot program. So do I, um, big, especially the no excuse absentee ballot. I should say that because I'm not against absentee ballots, but I am against no excuse absentee ballot program. But in 2018, she lost to Brian Kemp by 55,000 votes. And then Stacy went on to saying that she wanted to get rid of the machines and all this other stuff. And then 2020 Trump came up short as well around, like, I think it was 12,000 votes here in Georgia. Um, so here we are. So now we have supporters, particularly Trump supporters who want to get rid of the machine, the Dominion voting machine. And in 2020, um, well, before I go there, they want to get rid of the voting machines and they want to go to a, a paper ballot system. Or some people are saying that they just want the paper ballot to be an option, which I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with it being a backup option, but we got to remember that in 2020, we all went to bed with Trump up by 300,000 votes, 300,000 votes. We woke up to a loss overnight. The absentee ballots came in and once they were at it, we lost as Republicans. So where do I stand? Why am I not jumping on the machine or the anti-machine bandwagon? Two reasons. One, I always get suspicious when I see Democrats that change their tune. So do you remember first it was voter voter suppression and the machines and all this other stuff was an issue in 2018. Then when 2020 came around, all the same Democrats, the same people that was pushing against the voting machine in 2018 was now saying that there were 
there wasn't any irregularities in 2020. So the 2020 outcome was exactly what they wanted. So there was no issues. But then I saw this happen with the border and it's happening right now. So the border wall, they were saying that the border wall is secure, it's secure, it's secure, while we were saying it's not. Now they're saying that the border wall is not secure and we Republicans are the ones that's holding it up. They're already starting to take our narrative. The Democrats are a master at flipping the narrative and you have to pay attention to that. So why the machines? Number one, there was no proof of cheating on the machine. I know there's people going to be arguing with me. And if you have the absolute proof, please go to my website, allthingsjking.com and drop it in our Tusk Talks because I want to see it. Fox News lost their lawsuit and um, and it showed that 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 showed that there were some discrepancies around some of the stuff that we were saying as conservatives regarding the machines. I feel like I can't no one can explain to me how they're going to stop the cheating that they're claiming that's happening, the widespread cheating. If you're using paper ballots, I can't find a website or a clear explanation of what is really going to happen and how you plan to implement it. And then the conversation is in a bubble to me. I, how are you going to get this conversation out to those who are the, the 10 million plus people that live in this state, the people who are not politically involved and politically activated, are you just going to push it on them and force it on them? Because if that's the case, then that's a problem. We are now back to where we were and back doing the very thing that we claim we don't want the, 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 the Democrat Party to do or socialism to push on us, which is controlling our perspective on things. So if you can give me a clear understanding of how this is going to work, if you can show me how you plan to implement it, if you cannot get upset at me, if I push back and ask questions, then you may have opportunity to convince me that I should be backing the paper ballots. But I'm not because much like abortion, we've got to get on the offense of these things. When it comes to the election, I believe, and here's some things that I would like to see that I think will push for election integrity will help everyone. Number one, I think there should be an attorney on site, an attorney that represents the Republican side and the Democrat side. I think poll watchers should have real time reporting. Is there an app or something they can use where if they see something and they say something, it's not going to wait. It's not going to come up after the election before we start reviewing it. And then we can't go back and fix it. I think we need to get rid of the printout paper unless you can bring it home. Unless I can bring this home as a receipt that I went and voted on this day and these are the people I voted for and I can have that on file so if God forbid something happens and my vote is changed, I have records showing that that's not what I did. And I think it's optional, but even if you had a login system where you can track your vote, some people may say no, because then that can be hacked. And I'm not saying that machines can't be hacked. I'm just saying that there are ways around making sure that we utilize technology that's impactful, that's effective, but at the same time, and we're not going back in time, <laughs> but at the same time, we're making sure that we're tracking it accurately and we're putting in all the necessary precautions to prevent any issues. And then I also think there should be a campaign data team that tracks the sign-ins with the votes. You know, sometimes you can ride around. You had people riding around the different precincts to say, okay, how many people have voted here today? Okay, let me match that against how many people have checked in. If you're doing that ongoing, it will create, it, it will create a database and create um, an opportunity for you to really be able to push back on some things. So 
that's what I want to see with election integrity. That's what I want to see. And I touched on this a bit with the abortion. Um, like I said, we got to get on the offense. And I think we should start sharing stories of women who chose to keep their babies. And there's some stories of women who've gone through the mental, emotional abuse that's happened and that occurs as a result of um, having an abortion. Giving the facts about the danger of abortion. I'm going to be talking to someone who's going to be highlighting what's going on with the abortion pill and all the side effects and the women that are being impacted. But there is a way for us to be able to tackle these tough topics and not seem crazy. We just got to fill it out, make sure we get all the details, ask all the questions, and don't be afraid to push back and stand up for what you believe in. Have the courage to push back on some of these topics. So that's my little rant. That's how I feel about these two two topics. Again, we're going to be talking about all the hot topics that's surrounding 2024 as we continue to move on. Thank you so much for listening to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. Unfortunately, I have to wrap. That's it for me. And uh, but I'm so grateful that you tuned in again. You're listening to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. I am Janelle King. This is Extra 106.3. Thank you so much. And I will see you again next week. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands, an easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com.